Hello, peace lovers and peacemakers. This is Sarah Jamshidi with Matin Rukhsefad. Welcome to Peace Mindedly, a podcast show featuring peaceful bridge makers. Just very quickly here mentioning that we are live streaming our show on many social media channels, including Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, Twitter. So it's very easy to find us online. So now we are just jumping into the program with our guest. So today I'm talking with Hafsa Lodi, author of Modesty, a Fashion Paradox, uncovering the causes, controversies, and key players behind the global trend to conceal rather than reveal. Hafsa was born in New York. She relocated to the United Arab Emirates with her family when she was 14 years old. Hafsa earned her undergrad degree from Reynolds School of Journalism in Toronto and her master's degree in Islamic law from the University of London. I think she's uniquely qualified to talk about modest fashion because she does practice and wears wears modestly. Modesty, a fashion paradox, has received many favorable reviews. I think Hafsa is trying to uncover lots of information uh, in the modest fashion industry. She tries to explain almost everything in regard to modest fashion. So I am bringing Hafsa Lodi to my screen. Hello, Hafsa. Hello. Thank you so much for having me today. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. So in my personal view, I believe that there is just um, lots of information that you are trying to unfold and trying to just touch base in such one book. And maybe for the next project, you just need to Mm -hmm. know and learn more about modest fashion. But for just setting the ground rule uh, running and to just uh, we understand exactly what, what we are talking about, can you tell us what is modest? fashion? Yes, so typically speaking, modest fashion refers to clothing that covers the shoulders, oftentimes up to the wrists, and covers the knees, oftentimes up to the ankles. It also may or may not include a head covering such such as a hijab. Necklines are typically high and the silhouettes are loose and unfitted without kind of without see-through fabric. So that's kind of typically speaking, generally what modest fashion refers to. But of Mm -hmm. course, every woman has her own kind of interpretation and her own definition of what modesty means. Yes. So by reading the book and just diving into the information that you're trying to unfold, is it, um, so it, it looks perhaps, correct me if I'm wrong, but perhaps fashion is for probably well-to-do people who are just, you know, trying to uh, dress the best way they can. So, but is it really for well-to-do people or is it for all people of all budget or mm-hmm. um, everyday people or what's no, your I think, take? I think fashion definitely holds a place in all, across all walks of life, people of all walks of life. Whether or not they're wearing designer clothing obviously depends on their budget and their social circles and their their standing in the world. But I think fashion itself, whether um, whatever kind of uh, pay grade you're at holds quite a bit of meaning. You dress according to what your personality is and how you want your identity to come across. Um, You dress according to your cultural beliefs. Sometimes you dress according to your religious beliefs, your family rules in some cases. So I definitely think fashion is not just for the elite designer fashion and the kind of trend based 
uh, fashion that we are kind of fed uh, by luxury fashion houses at mainstream fashion weeks um, across London, Milan, Paris, and New York, then that is definitely for um, an elite kind of standing of society. Excellent. So here is my question, Hafsa. The U.S. media is saturated by explaining perhaps or describing Muslim women as being oppressed, uh, as being submissive, as being backward and so forth and so on. Now it's probably for the first time that we see positive story perhaps uh, circulating in the mainstream Western media news cycle. So, so I want to see what is your take about this, this new attitude. So, of course, um, as you explain in your book, there, there has been mean, many people has contributed to this uh, new phenomenon, bloggers, business owners, and uh, social media enthusiasts and so forth. But I want you to tell me, what do you think or how do you feel that um, the, the, the Western media has taken this kind of yeah. new approach towards uh, yeah. Muslim women? Yeah, I mean, if you looked at news stories um, in the mainstream media that described Muslim women a decade ago or right after September 11, for instance, it was always with images of the burqa, niqab, all black tent-like garments, sometimes blue. I mean, it wasn't much diversity um, ever when it came to the portrayal of Muslim women in the Western media. It was always li linked to politics, uh, linked to the war on terror. There were these kind of unapproachable, foreign-looking images whenever Muslim women were discussed. And I think one of the big positive kind of side effects about the modest fashion movement that has gone global today is that it has really changed how Muslim women are portrayed in the, the mainstream Western media. And the modest fashion movement is not just a Muslim movement, it's not a religious movement, but it has helped kind of paint this new, modern, colorful, bold uh, picture of what Muslim women can look like. And that's mainly thanks to these Muslim women in the spotlight now, starting with Halima Adan, the Somali hijabi runway model that opened Kanye West runway show back in, I think, 2017. And she kind of paved the path for all of these other young aspiring hijabi fashion models to follow. And then of course, um, all of these modest fashion bloggers that we have on Instagram today, who are, um, who are Muslim, who are fashionable, and who are kind of proving that you can have the best of both worlds. So I think that's really helped kind of mainstream designers have woken up to the fact that, oh, there's this new Muslim woman who we can cater to, who we can design clothes for. And these new Muslim women are kind of becoming, I mean, they're not new Muslim women, they've been, they've been here forever, but they, they're kind of now being given the spotlight that they, they rightly deserve. Okay, so you're right. I have two questions. I'm going to ask the first question. Yes, one argument that you are making in your book is that probably uh, the mainstream fashion houses are really want to reach out to Muslim pockets and to mm -hmm. apply Muslim purchase powers in mm -hmm. order to just gain uh, and attract the market towards their own business entity. On the other hand, uh, some of the fashion houses or some of the businesses who are specifically catering towards this uh, particular industry, like Modanisa, like Modis just got out of business, but yeah. it was um, 
which one the fashion valley or fashion valley yeah, yeah or or uh, other other businesses and they try to shy away from anything or having any connotation towards religion because yeah. they also want to apply to a larger audience yes. for for the sake of sale so yes. in one hand mm-hmm. um one particular yeah. business says, oh, we are all about Muslims and we want, yeah. you know, to cater. Yeah. On the other hand, the Muslim business owners say, you know what, we are for all all, yeah. all women or all people. Yeah. So how do you see this controversy? So it's interesting. You mentioned the Modest, which unfortunately closed down recently due to the pandemic. But it came, um, I, I was speaking to their founder, Hislan, and around 30% of their purchases, I believe, were from the Midwest U.S., they were based in Dubai in the Middle East, but many of uh, many American white, possibly non-Muslim women were um, there a, a big part of their consumers. So I think it's definitely um, a smart business approach for these Muslim uh, e-commerce websites not to kind of target religion or Islamic fashion or a particular a particular definition of modesty or kind of link it to religion in any way. I think not only not only to appeal to all religions and people who are perhaps non-religious, but also just because within religion, there are such diverse opinions about what modest fashion is. Does it have to have a hijab? Does it have to be, um, you know, muted colors? Does it have to cover the ankle? So I think just by keeping keeping it open, you keep your doors open to everybody, you do have the most, you, you spread your wings as wide as you can so you can attract all the possible customers who may come your way. And then yes, on the other hand, the luxury designers, um, I mean, none of them will, none of them really openly admit that we are creating modest fashion to attract these rich Arabs who we see all over social media. None of them are really saying that. We all know it's true. But the the fashions they're designing are not just being bought by Muslims. They're, you know, Gucci is making these really cool, trendy, layered looks. And yes, Middle Eastern women are falling for them and buying them, but also European women, American women, Canadian women, you know, people all over the planet in this elite, uh, whoever can afford Gucci, whoever can afford these high fashion labels are um, are buying them. So it's, I would say it's, it's a smart uh, move not to kind of say that we are targeting a specific religion. There are just these population projections and financial projections that have come up over the past few years that have just kind of identified the Muslim millennial market as one with a lot of spending power. So brands are just naturally kind of starting to cater to these modesty guidelines that these Muslim women may have. How popular, I'm going to go to my the other question later, but how popular is modest fashion among Muslim women in, in, I mean, let's say in Dubai, let's say in the United States and in yeah. some, in the Gulf region, because yeah. m- m- some of the arguments, we, we cover modest fashion as a part of our news coverage. And uh, we hear constantly people saying that fashion and anything fashions, I mean, especially modest fashion is not one of the areas of focus right now especially in the middle east because there are so many things are going on we have wars and we have starvation we have this and we have that and then fashion comes just at the end of our list so how how do you so i think um that's true given all of the tragedies and the political kind of upheaval that we have in the middle east often over the past few years i mean over many years Fashion is not always a priority here, but but when you look at these kind of 
oil-rich Gulf states, Saudi, UAE, Qatar, Kuwait. Fashion definitely plays a big role in the lives of women here, in the lives of locals and expats. But modest fashion as a retail category may not be as popular here, surprisingly, as it is in the US and as it is in the UK. Because here, traditionally, there's a lot of segregation um, in Arab culture. So women often wear the abaya and underneath that they may wear whatever, whatever they want, possibly immodest clothing, not clothing not, that's not necessarily modest because they have that outer garment um, to wear over. So the, the modest fashion movement that we're seeing, this big boom is actually more kind of relevant in the US and in the UK where women need clothing for their kind of public outings where they might not necessarily want to wear an abaya. It's not part of their culture. It's not part of the norm in, in the West. So really it's kind, of, it's kind of a different kind of market that modest fashion appeals to both in, in the Middle East as opposed to in the West. Um, yeah, I find that very, I found that very interesting as I researched that even some of the designers I spoke to who founded their brands in Dubai, they lived here in Dubai with their families. They founded these fashion labels, but then they found that most of their sales were actually coming from the U.S. 70%, 80% of their customers were ordering from the U.S. So it just made more sense for them to move their businesses there. So they actually moved across the world just because there was more of a demand for modest fashion in mm -hmm. the West. Mm -hmm. I was just um, fidgeting because I wanted to ask, I prepared this question for the second part of the interview, but since we are talking about the same subject, I'm just going to ask uh, this question now. Here is at least my hypothesis, and I want your help to we just, you know, uh, probably brainstorm or hash out the idea. My hypothesis is daughters or uh, young women of immigrant families in the United States. Some of those immigrant families are a bit conservative or semi-conservative, and they have some sort of strict rules for their mm -hmm. family um, regulations or whatever is working within their own, uh, their own space, right? And uh, what happened was right after 9-11, we've been seeing, I mean, narratives and story after story about uh, these are this kind of Muslim. Muslim community is that. Muslims are those. Muslims are this. And then uh, perhaps there is space created for uh, some of these young girls and some of these young uh, women who say, you know what? what we see in the media or what the media is telling about us, it's not us. It's mm -hmm. a different story. And then therefore, we are going to tell our own story and, our, and shape our own narrative. And what helped was social media because against media, and they just bypass the Western traditional media platform to create this new narrative. So, so I'm just wondering, is it fair to say that after 9-11, some of these immigrant families got loose of their own regulations to give space to these women and women use this new breathing space and probably within this democracy to just create this space that we are talking about modest fashion? Definitely. I mean, you said it exactly correctly. I, I completely agree with you. This new wave of Muslim feminism um, by young millennial Muslims has really emerged as a response to the post 9-11 Islamophobia. And this kind of, there's this clash of civilizations narrative that you always are fed as a 
immigrant living in the U.S. or even just a, a third or you know a second or third culture generation person living in the U.S. Your your family or your parents may have been born and bred in the U.S., but your grandparents are some from somewhere in the East. That there's you know the Western ideals that may conflict with your cultural heritage, and social media has become this kind of medium for these Muslim women to showcase what their identity is as this new kind of um, hybrid of these of these different worlds. And I think author Shalina Jan Muhammad does a really great job of explaining this. She wrote a book called Generation M, and she refers to Generation M as this group of millennial Muslims who are kind of showing that you can have both faith and modernity. And they're kind of using um, this to launch their own businesses that merge kind, kind of Islamic values with maybe a modern lifestyle. And I think these, these faith-based Muslim fashion labels that we're seeing emerge over the past few years that are, that are modest fashion labels are a big example of genera Generation M Generation M designers, Generation M entrepreneurs. So I think her book is a really good one for anybody interested in this kind of this idea of how young Muslims in the West are, you know, are reconciling their faith and their uh, their current culture, their Western culture. Yes, it's uh, indeed it's very very good book. I really recommend that. I'm just going to get the exact title very soon. But uh, here's the catch, Hafsa. The catch is, let's say, you know, I'm from Iran, and then yeah. in Iran and Saudi Arabia, hijab is mandatory. Yeah. And then a young girl, a young woman in Iran says, what the heck? <laughs> You're yeah. talking about fashion and about modest fashion, something that I do not choose because it's been yeah. imposed on me against me. And they very much dislike your book so what is your i know that you try to be objective you are not taking sides yeah. i know i know all of this but what is your um, your yeah, response so to that definitely there are areas not only um countries like iran and saudi but there are also families in every part of the world in america in canada in um in the uae in the uk there are families and these pockets of cultural communities where there are these patriarchal families and the father dictates what the women in his family wear, what they do, what they say, who they marry, what they eat, what time they sleep, when they have to come home. And they are they have modest fashion imposed on them often as well. I, I mean, it's it's a very unfortunate um, kind of reality of our life. But this this book that I wrote, Modesty of Fashion Paradox, is not about those uh, those communities and those examples. I try to focus this book on the modest fashion movement that's really inspiring women to make their own choice to cover up, whether that's for religious, political, cultural, uh, or other reasons. So yeah, I would say that there, that definitely is a reality of life. And uh, it's very unfortunate. And there's some NGOs and there's feminist organizations trying to help these women. But on at the same time, women who have dressed modestly, who choose to dress modestly, have been ostracized from mainstream society because of their choices to dress modestly. And to identify um, with modest fashion. And people kind of often can't believe that they would choose to cover up. Uh, and they've had to kind of fight these Western values, these uh, of individualism and of kind of societal standards that, that kind of pressure you to bare your skin in order to look attractive. They've kind of really had to fight against those all their lives. So this book was more about these kind of women who are kind of finally 
having a spotlight, a positive spotlight on their choices to dress modestly. Yes, speaking of which, I really need to mention my my editor and assistant producer, Mateen, covers, and and she's modern, she's educated, she's um, a PhD, and she's all of those, and she chooses to cover. And and that's that exactly the point that you are making for the book. But if you want to be frank about the, the points that you you've been mentioning in the book. What is your critique about your own book? My critique about my book? You know, one critique, so this book came out right when the whole Black Lives movement was, you know, being like unearthed in the U.S. and kind of spread across the, the world. And I'm a journalist uh, full-time. This book was was uh, my only book so far. So um, I spend my time freelancing for a bunch of publications and I write about modest fashion often. And one story that kind of came to me um, in June, July was a story about how black women are kind of at the forefront of the modest fashion movement, how there's so many uh, very talented black Muslim fashion designers, models, entrepreneurs in the industry. Yet um, the that when you think of modest fashion, when you see the campaigns, when you see the lookbooks that the designers are using, they're often white and often in this Middle Eastern region, they're often very light skinned, um, white Arab passing models that are being used. So this is something that I woke up to over the summer that, oh, there's a big diversity problem in, in the modest fashion movement. The modest fashion movement is supposed to celebrate diversity, but there's still a big diversity problem within the movement when it comes to skin tone and when it comes to inclusivity. Um, so I think if I had to critique my book, that's one point that there's a big diversity angle that I can further explore if, there, if we come to a second edition, inshallah. Um, we have a we have a half black model on the cover, Maria Drisi. She's Moroccan, uh, Pakistani, living in in the UK. But I think there's really um, more space to explore the fabulous black Muslim women who have really been contributing to this movement for years. Absolutely, absolutely. So stay put. Uh, Hafsa, I'm going to come back. You are watching To Peace Mindedly, a podcast show featuring peaceful bridge makers. So we are live streaming our conversation on eight uh, social media channels. This is our 21st program uh, on Peace Mindedly. We are on our second season for, for the podcast show. We are coming back every Tuesday. Mateen and I come back every Tuesday at 12 noon to talk about peace, kindness, compassion, and to feature our peaceful bridge makers, the people who are bridging gaps between cultures, between nations, between uh, attitudes, and they are just offering their body of work to, to bridge the gap. For next week, I am talking with Elizabeth Lesser, author of many best-selling books, including her recent book, Cassandra Speaks. When women are storytellers, the human story changes. Elizabeth is the co-founder of Omega Institute, nonprofit mission-driven organization on wellness, spirituality, and creativity. After that, on September 22nd, this is interesting, <laughs> September 22nd, I'm talking with Nancy Wilson, author of Growing Roses, uh, The Beginner's Handbook. The reason I'm talking with Nancy, because it happened uh, September 22nd, is the National Rose Day. And I love roses. I uh, I grow roses in my garden. And featuring Nancy is very narcissistic because I 
really want to learn more about roses. So therefore, we are going to talk about roses. And I believe that flowers uh, are a direct creation, creatures of God on this planet to show us beauty and especially roses. Uh, so on September 22, we are talking with uh, Nancy Wilson about, about how to grow roses. After that, on September 29, uh, we are talking with Massimo Pagliucci. He will tell us about a field guide to a happy life. 53 brief lessons for a living. Massimo is a professor of philosophy at this uh, City College of New York. He will tell us how ancient philosophers, philosophers like Plato, like Aristotle, and many others, kept themselves amused, entertained, and exuberant with life and what we can learn from those philosophers today. I think is uh, this book especially practical for our use uh, these days because of the uncertainty that we are swimming within. For this hour, oh, and then I wanted to mention you the book that perhaps uh, our guest mentioned by Shalina Jan, uh, Jan Mohammed. Shalina Jan Mohammed. Generation M, Young Muslims Changing the World. Generation M. It's the new phrase that I've been seeing. Young, exuberant, modern, cosmopolitan uh, girls and women are using as a a form of empowerment. So so it's it's a very good read. It's a good read. For this hour, although, we are talking with Hafsa Lodi, American journalist based in Dubai. Hafsa is the author of Modesty, a Fashion Paradox, uncovering the causes, controversies, and key players behind a global trend to conceal rather than reveal. Hafsa's book is available on goldtoon.com. We have affiliation program with Amazon, and if you purchase the book through goldtoon.com, you are going to help the our Peace Journalism Initiative. Hafsa studied journalism and Islamic law, and she practices modest fashion herself. Her relationship with religion, culture, and modernity has always been very tight. She writes about the same topic for the national newspaper, luxury magazine, Mojay magazine, and other publications. She started the book when she was, uh, what's, what's that? She was uh, having a creature in her tummy. <laughs> and, then, and then she dedicated the book to Nura Safiya, her daughter. How old is your daughter, Hafsa? Oh, she's almost two. She's 21 months now. Oh, Masha. A lot. Today is my daughter's birthday. Oh, happy birthday. Yes, yes, thank you. And then she turned 10. And oh, here's wow. the thing, Hafsa. Here's the thing. Anytime that I hear people say, oh, she, um, um, it's going to go pass by, it's going to just, uh, time is going to fly, it's going to go so quickly. And I just, you know, look at them like, yeah, really? And uh, honestly, I don't think so. Yesterday, yeah, yesterday, one of my friends, Johan Kimberg, she's a rabbi, and she shared a quote on Facebook that I really wanted to mention it here in our program for us working mothers. It said, why is it that we expect a woman to work like she doesn't have kids? And the same time, expect her to raise her kids like she doesn't work. That's shout out <laughs> exactly <laughs> shout out to all hard-working moms out there being measured by impossible impossible Seriously. standards 
honestly, honestly. So what has been the experience for you as a working mom? I know that in Dubai, at least, women have, have some help, or especially if you are around your family members, you have your mom, yeah. your sister, it's very different in the United States. We just do yeah, everything ourselves. Yeah. But again, I mean, working mom. So how has been the experience for you? It's been, I'm so I haven't gone back to office full time since having a baby and I live close by to my mother. So that helps. I personally don't have a nanny or a helper like that. I haven't given into that little part of Dubai life just yet. I was raised in the States and I never had a nanny. So it's not something that I'm really used to in my own family or culture, but it's definitely tough. You definitely have to time manage and nighttime is the only time you can work basically after they go to sleep that's the only time you're going to be productive. The day is just running around and entertaining her and making her food, trying to feed her, cleaning up her food. That's basically all day. <laughs> I know. Mantian is also working mom. So Avi, we know, we know what you're talking about. So in your book, you write about bloggers, designers, business owners, photographers, and all of those people. And then somehow... It feels, or there is an affair that uh, I felt so. What we are talking about concealment. So, mm -hmm. what these people are trying to conceal rather than reveal mm -hmm. within their workspace. Yeah. So, within basically, I think one of the main um, features of modest fashion, how we're seeing it on social media, is that modesty is about concealing your skin and covering your skin. So we see a lot of these designs and these trends on social media that may be skin covering, but may not be typically modest if you, add, if you look at modesty from a traditional perspective. For instance, there's, I'll give a personal story. There's this hijab, um, hijab trend that's going around social media that I wanted to try myself today. So it's, it's when women wear a, a button-down white shirt, like kind of like this, but in white, with a like a tank top, kind of like a corset top on top of it. So corsets are typically not really modest fashion clothing, but a kind of a hallmark of the modest fashion movement is that women are taking these items and layering them to make an overall modest look. So I tried doing that this morning um, after seeing it on Instagram everywhere. And I looked in the mirror and I didn't feel modest at all. I felt like I'm accentuating a part of my body that I don't want to. Um, I felt that it was kind of counteractive to the whole modest, um, modesty ideal so it's really interesting that's one of it's kind of one of the conflicts and the paradoxes of the modest fashion movement is fashion mo it modest just if it covers your skin if it's still skin tight is it modest if it's still kind of drawing attention to particular areas of a woman's body that maybe traditionally aren't supposed to be accentuated is it still modest so this is one of the kind of contra contradictions of the movement that I found and I kind of experienced myself today for the first time Mm -hmm. Thanks for sharing. Yes, yes, exactly. Is it fair to say that it's really personal interpretation? Definitely, um, definitely. And I feel like it, it also depends on your body type, perhaps. And when I see all these pictures of these hijabi women on, on Instagram, these modest fa fashion bloggers using layering in this really smart, uh, clever way, I still think they look modest oftentimes. They still um, they still look modest on me for some reason. It didn't look modest, but um, maybe it's just a personal thing as well. But definitely modesty is not only personal, it, it often changes. Um, your personal definition of modesty changes throughout your life. 
mine has personally, um, from whether it's from wearing short sleeves to long sleeves to covering elbows to wearing burkinis one day and then wearing normal one piece swimsuits the other, you know, like it really, um, it really, I think life circumstances kind of shape your, how you view fashion, how you view modesty and how you kind of view the merging of both as well. So tell me uh, why it changed for you? What happened? Why you, you decided? It's a good question. I think um, I, I wouldn't say anything big, really. Um, I think throughout researching this book, uh, it, my, my definition of modest fashion also changed. I think if you even just look at the hijab, we all have a, like this mainstream view of the hijab that, you know, hijab means that only the face, hands and feet can be shown. But if you see all of these modest fashion bloggers on Instagram, they all have very varying approaches to modesty. And there's this term called haram ankles that, that they kind of joke about that, oh, if they're wearing a midi skirt that maybe covers their calves, but not their ankles, they'll get all these comments on Instagram from all these modest fashion police, or they call the haram police who say, this isn't hijab, your ankles are showing, or your neck is showing because you're wearing a turban hijab. And I think just seeing all this negativity and seeing all this, um, these kind of criticisms, even when these women are covering and they're looking stylish and modest, they're looking very modest, but because a flash of ankle, because a neck, because ears are showing, you know, they get all of this criticism. And it made me kind of maybe realize that it's not about, it's not always about the inches that are on display. Modesty is not just about, you know, if a little bit of skin is showing here and there, it's very much about um, kind of the the intention and how you portray yourself and how you are. Modesty is also an inner virtue and how you display that, how you embody that and how you, how your character kind of comes across through, through your clothing. So, yeah, I think there are many, many different ways for modesty to be expressed uh, and clothing is only one of them. Yes. Very well put. So in your book, you write modest fashion bloggers are the ambassadors of Islam. What do you mean? So I think I posed it as a question, are modest fashion bloggers uh, ambassadors of Islam? Because oftentimes, um, and we're seeing this recently, that, well, so first of all, when these modest fashion bloggers kind of became this big, uh, big phenomenon, big movement on social media, they were kind of the poster, the poster children for Islam on, on, a, on this vehicle, on this kind of medium uh, of social media. So people who may not have been familiar with Muslim women suddenly had Dina Turkia or Asya, these big hijabi fashion bloggers as kind of uh, their example of what a Muslim woman looks like. So these women who are modest fashion bloggers who wear the hijab, who are visibly Muslim on social media and, you know, hashtag their outfits with modest fashion blogger or Muslim fashion blogger, they kind of, they never ask to be uh, role models of the religion but oftentimes we as followers portray that pressure we kind of put it on to them as as followers as viewers so i kind of question that uh, is this fair is this uh why are modest fashion bloggers kind of the ambassadors of the faith and some of the women i interviewed said that any you know if you wear the hijab as a woman you are visibly muslim that is a marker of your identity as a muslim woman automatically you are an ambassador of islam you're supposed to be um, representing what the religion looks like to you know to the world. When you leave your house wearing a hijab, you're 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 supposed to act like an exemplary Muslim exemplary Muslim woman. But you know that's a lot of pressure. No, not every hijabi woman, not every practicing Muslim woman, not every 
woman who wears modest fashion wants that kind of pressure or responsibility. Um, so it's really interesting to see the difference in opinion. Some Muslim fashion designers see that as their duty. And some, some modest fashion bloggers say, job, that doesn't mean I'm promoting uh, Islam or, pre or preaching any sort of religion. It's just part of me. I'm a fashion blogger and I'm here to show my outfits and the hijab just happens to be part of that. So it's very different to see the difference. Um, there's a really big spectrum of different women, different Muslim women, different hijabi women, how they all kind of see their role and duty in this wider movement. So do you believe that if we didn't have Instagram, we could have had this kind of rise in modest fashion? I'm a, I'm a millennial Muslim woman and an Instagram addict, and I can't imagine the, a, a modest fashion movement at this scale without Instagram and TikTok and Facebook, um, especially Instagram. Honestly, I don't think, I think we might have seen a runway trend and yes, there may have been some references to Muslim women, but it's really this, this idea of this modest fashion blogger, whether or not she wears hijab, whether or not she's Muslim, there's amazing Jewish and Christian, um, inspiring fashion bloggers out there as well on Instagram. And I think together they all really are one of the main reasons why we're seeing this movement today become so big. I mean, it, it surfaced maybe five, four or five years ago, and it's still a huge booming movement. So um, I think we really have to give Instagram a lot of credit. Where is future? What is future for modest fashion? Oh, I don't think modest fashion is going to go away anytime soon, because if anything, we've, we've proven that there's this demand, this really strong demand for modest fashion. But at the same time, if we're seeing how these, uh, these modest fashion bloggers are dressing, a lot of them are showcasing that you don't really need to buy clothing from, from a, a, a brand that labels itself as a modest fashion label. You can buy any clothing, you can buy any, you can wear, I mean, a, a bralette top on top of a, a turtleneck and call it modest fashion. So a lot of these these women are being very creative with how they how they term, how they kind of dress to the, the term modest fashion, how they kind of see uh, modesty as part of their wardrobes. And a lot of them say that they never, they never shop from dedicated modest wear platforms or stores. They shop at H&M, Zara, New Look, Stradivarius, The Gap. You know, they shop at all of these normal stores that that are the mainstream stores to shop at. So I think the future might, might we might see kind of a phasing out of the, the buzzword uh, modesty and modest fashion. It might just become more integrated into the fashion offerings in these mainstream stores that we see. But that being said, it's been it's been five, six years and modesty is still a buzzword and it's still trending. So it may it may keep its kind of stay on this pedestal that it's on. Um, but whether or not the word is there, the clothes will definitely reflect the, the demand for modesty. Yeah. One of, one of the critiques I have for the, I mean, using the modest fashion industry as reaching out to the customers is aims towards the modest fashion houses. So the big fashion houses, I really want them to use modest fashion designers, Muslim designers. In your book, you talk about Christian uh, Orthodox uh, modest fashion designers, Jewish Orthodox modest fashion designers, but not only those, but also Muslim modest fashion designers 
integrate within mm-hmm. their 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 project to reach yeah. out to to Muslim customers. I mean, the, the thing that Uniqlo did with um, Hannah Tarjima. Yes. I really yes. would love to see yeah. more of those because yes. one of the frustration over by talking with modest fashion designers is that we really do not want to lose the market to yeah. these giant businesses. And and I think that probably millennials need to do their own their own um, work and probably homework to just you know demand these yeah. big fa- fashion houses to yeah. incorporate modest fashion designers. Yeah, that's one of the main criticisms of of, Mus- of Muslim women's portrayals in fashion as well, that you can't just use the picture of Muslim women on your marketing campaigns and your promotional images uh, without actually help- recruiting them and consulting with them and hiring them. Um, so yeah, definitely we should see a lot more collaboration. What should they like- do, you think? Well, I mean, let's say I'm Gucci and yeah. I am uh, having a new collection. So what yeah. do you think, uh, you as a writer and uh, mm-hmm. researcher, what sh- what do I need to do uh, to reach so out I to the Muslim? I think the easiest thing that these big brands can do, which many are actually doing, is to just have Muslim kind of style edits featuring these Muslim modest fashion influencers for various regions. So you just hire one of these, not hire, you collaborate, you work together with one of these um, stylists or bloggers, and they will kind of style the collection in their own way to showcase a modest look. And I know, um, I know Burberry and Fendi and Gucci, they, they do this and it's, but yeah, that's, that's only. But they are not using modest fashion designers. You know, yeah, modest modest fashion designers. So, so um, one of my critiques is really, uh, and and from the modest fashion designers themselves. I mean, some of them, some some of them are very serious. They are up and running. They have all all, everything that business needs to to just you know move forward with their uh, business um, uh, business entity. Yeah. I think we're more likely to see um, on on that front, maybe on the the fast fashion retailers like H&M and Zara. I think there's more maybe room for opportunity there with hiring Muslim modest fashion designers. It's very hard to get into that Italian prim and proper <laughs> hoity-toity fashion world. Like, so um, I think I think definitely uh, retailers like H&M and just fast fashion retailers who already have this kind of appetite for modest fashion, who have recognized that there's this need, they're, they're also already in tune with these needs for sustainability and diversity and inclusivity. So I think it'll definitely be easier to go that route. Um, through these more mass market brands. Exactly. And one thing that I really recommend from my own point of view is for the buyers, just demand. I mean, the Mm -hmm. millennials or buyers demand of seeing um, a corporation. So then they they happily buy and reach out and they can just, you know, the the fashion houses can can sell their, uh, their, their clothes. Stay put, please. Okay. So you are watching to Peace Mindedly, a podcast show featuring peaceful bridge makers for this hour we are talking with Hafsa Lodi American journalist based in Dubai and the author of Modest a Fashion Paradox you can find Hafsa's um, book on goldtoon.com we have the affiliate program with Amazon Books if you buy the book through our website we get the small promotion but still help us with our peace journalism 
And at the end of the program, I ask my guests to close the program by sharing something meaningful about peace, about uh, compassion, kindness, and and uh, whatever they want to share, uh, statement, prayers, or something that they really want us to know. So here is Hafsa. Okay, yes, go ahead, Hafsa. Yes, yeah, just one message I'd like to, um, I mean, that's really, that's really shown how important it is to me throughout researching this book and writing this book and focusing so much on the fashion aspect and the outer kind of portrayal of modesty is that as women, we are so quick to judge one another on what, uh, what, what we're wearing and fashion and how somebody looks. And we're so quick, quick to judge a book by its cover, um, especially when it comes to modest fashion. And I think it's so important for us to kind of have that insight and that maturity to to not to not do that to not kind of judge other women and measure other women's worth and kind of dismiss or you know vilify women depending on their choice of clothing whether that conforms to your own definition of modesty or not i think it's so important that we as women stop judging one another by uh, by how they look Excellent. Very good. Thank you so much, Hafsa. I have Martin, my my assistant producer, one of the editors for Goldtone. Uh, I have Hafsa. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much, Hafsa. It was a great book and a great discussion, really. Thank you so much. Thank you and Khoda Hafiz. Khoda Hafiz.